Hey, this is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Hello, everyone. How's it going tonight? Hello, Sailor. Hello, Ed. Hello, Sailor. Hello, hey, Matt, Matt and Ed. <laughs> hello, I feel like hello, this is hello. like, hello, Matt's doctor. doctor. Look at that. Hello, doctor. <laughs> wasn't, that a, wasn't that a Seinfeld skit? Probably. Doctor, I think doctor, that was, was not an airplane. I don't. Oh, yeah. Airplane, the movie, doctor, doctor. Yes, doctor. Doc- yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. And then there's also the Mike, Mickey, Mike. Remember that one? Oh, I don't Mike remember Tyson, that one. Mike Tyson, Mickey from? Mouse, and Michael Jackson in an elevator. Mike, I've Mickey, never heard Mike, that. Mike? Oh, it's I probably think, off color now, but. I, I think Airplane is one of the funniest movies ever made. I'm oh, just going to say far. that right now. By Second. far. By far. Yes. Totally yeah. agree. Totally. Yeah. Oh, well, yep. There's so many, like, cult, cultural, I don't know, like, jokes that have, that have withstood the test of time come from Airplane. And you forget. Like, I just forgot. I was like, is that Seinfeld? Yeah. My favorite line from that movie, Leslie Nielsen says, we have to get these patients to a hot, or we have to get these people to a hospital. And there's the one guy says, what's that? And he says, it's a large building with patients. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Surely you're kidding. I'm not kidding. Stop calling sure, me. Surely. Oh, <laughs> That's so the most so famous. Good. Yeah. I sometimes get that one and police Academy mixed up a little bit. Like some of the quotes from it. Because remember when, I don't know why, I became, remember the thread of the old lady, or was it the old man? I think it was an old lady. She thought she was going to the doctor's office, but they were p- putting her on, like, she was getting a tune-up as a car. Do you remember that? <laughs> that must have been a police academy. <laughs> That's exactly. But there's, anyway, we're going to go off on this <laughs> whole right. tangent. Let's just stop here. We'll bring it back in. Reel it yes, back in. Yes, yes. Let's talk about in. some updates, which, first of all, uh, last week we decided to run a little bit of a, we decided to run a rerun. Excellent use of grammar, Sailor. Um, but we did, we ran a rerun and, uh, we did that because we wanted to include Soundgarden in the series that we've been doing on nineties alt rock. We've decided to kind of approach our episodes as series now because we've, we, of course, everything in music is interconnected when you're kind of staying in a, a wheelhouse of 20 to 30 years. Um, and I just feel like we're having more fun with it this way. Hopefully you guys listening are having more fun with it. So we wanted to add Soundgarden to this discussion. And tonight we are going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm not going to talk about that yet. But before that, in my hand, I am holding something super exciting. Something that we have wanted to have in our possession for almost two years now. Wouldn't you agree, gentlemen? I would agree. Um, yep. I have our metal rock and whiskey Glen Cairn glasses. Oh yeah. Um, so they there are many of you that ordered yours and they will be shipping out tomorrow. I will get them shipped out as quickly as I possibly can with my two little hands by myself. Um we are so blessed to have friends like um, ben from Barrel Raised to help us out with this. He did a wonderful job taking our logo and putting it on the glassware. They got to me in perfect condition. I've already rubbed them, scratched them, done everything I could possibly think of, and they're they're excellent quality. So I am so excited to have these. So uh, those of you who have ordered them, they will be on their way very soon. Um, and those of you who have not, we have a few left from our first run. Um, 
I will be posting new prices. So if you want to order one, please get in touch with us. Um, something else that is really important for me to mention tonight, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our whiskey brothers. If you are friends with us on Instagram, you know that we have a very tight community on Instagram, us whiskey lovers, and we feel like we are friends. If we have not met in real life, we feel like we have. And, and I found an update about whiskey doctor and, um, Lee, he, uh, has had some serious health issues recently and was hospitalized and his fiance posted to let us all know why he had been absent for a while on Instagram. So wanted to give a shout out to the whiskey doctor. We love you. We hope that you are on the mend quickly and we can't wait to see you posting again and continuing with all the fun stuff that you do. So good thoughts and healing vibes to the whiskey doctor. Yes. Yes. Pouring, pouring one out for him tonight. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he probably hasn't had whiskey in a while. Yes. I was just there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. For two months straight. <laughs> and I was there a few years ago for almost two years I couldn't drink. Lots of doctor, no whiskey. <sighs> yeah. yeah. But uh, if you ever want to, you know, unfortunately, when things like this happen, it shows the true nature of this whiskey community that we're all a part of. Absolutely. Um, and it's, uh, it's comforting and it's um, all-encompassing and it's just a great thing how uh, everyone's reached out and done their part. And there is a GoFundMe set up. As you yep. know, if you are an American citizen, being sick um, is very costly. Sometimes it's almost impossible to pay to stay alive. I can attest to that. I am a cancer survivor and battled my own very serious health issues, unfortunately, a few times. And um, it can literally ruin you financially, uh, which is added stress and does not help when you are trying to fight for your life. So there is a GoFundMe. We will post the link to that in the show notes. And we will also post that in our Facebook group and on Instagram. So even if you have a dollar, um, I, I know that he has several thousand followers. If you even, if everybody just sent a dollar and there's 10,000 of us, how amazing would that be? I know that for me, it would have been an incredible help um, to chunk away at some of those bills. Well, good yeah. vibes to the whiskey doctor. Yeah. Yes. So tonight we've been on the subject of '90s grunge metal bands. We've talked about the best. Tonight we talk about the rest. Some of the rest, should we say? Some of the rest. Mm -hmm. Well, and though you know, best <laughs> is obviously you know subjective. subjective yes. Too. Yes. I thought we. I thought. I think maybe we should say the most popular the most well-known maybe that's, that's a fair statement yeah some of the most well-known most popular um most and successful I, bands i think too we chose bands that we feel get labeled grunge and aren't grunge and we like to say 90s alt rock alternative rock yeah i much prefer that yeah that genre because I think so I, there might be some bands we talk about tonight that might fit that label of grunge better sure. than the bands we've talked about so far. Absolutely. Yes. And I know that for the listeners, I put together the list of the bands we're going to discuss tonight. The guys didn't know until I had pulled it all together. So they have bands that they feel were left out. And also, I think, bands that they feel shouldn't be included so instead of a battle of bands or out, well, instead of a battle of albums, we're going to do 
perhaps a little bit of a battle of bands. It's it's such a broad genre. It's super difficult to pinpoint. And we we want to try to keep these new series to only a month or maybe five weeks or something like that. I think this one will probably land at six weeks, maybe, I think, right? Before we move yeah, on to our next series. five or six, yeah. Five or yep. six, yeah. So I'm interested to see you guys who you feel should have been included and who you feel sh- didn't deserve a place in this discussion tonight. So that'll be fun to battle, God damn it. As you I, said, I, with great fervor. I got feedback that I haven't been cursing enough lately. <laughs> well, fucking A. Let's pick it up. <laughs> you know what? I think people are so used to it that they just don't don't hear it anymore. You know what? I went back. You know how I am. If I get feedback, I immediately start listening <laughs> to the show. Because I, I, if I, if, if I did something wrong or didn't, you know, I'll admit it, of course. And I'm like... Oh my god! You know why? Because I've been trying to not curse on Pretty Good for a Girl. Ah, uh, mm. you're getting too sponsor friendly here. No, Uh-oh. it's not about the sponsors. <laughs> it's about some of our guests. Some of our guests, their audiences, they wouldn't be able to play it for their audiences, and so I'm trying this to be true. kind and understanding about that, and you know, want their audiences to be able to hear it too. Well, I would say that when we have a guest on MRW, we also kind of clean it up a little bit. I don't think it's I just don't. no. Ed's the one that edits. He can tell you. He even had to edit me out of... Like, when I say I've tried to not curse, I'm pretty good for a girl. It's a tried, being the opposite It was a good attempt. You you, you couple slipped in there. There's only a couple. I'm I'm sorry you're going to have to edit those out. I dropped an F-bomb. And I think our guest five-year-old kid was in the room. Sorry. (laughs) It would be interesting, someone who's like a real hardcore fan of the show, and we hope we have a lot of those out there listening right now, to go back and count how many f bombs we've each dropped since the beginning of the show, and see who's winning—that'd be fun. Well, it's that not would... me, I can tell you that. <laughs> no, it's definitely not, Matt. I'm pretty sure it would be me. It's you, yeah, yeah. It's me. I, they, yeah, I don't I'm think probably, there's any. I'm probably a distant second. Yeah, it, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So, all right. Before we move on to the discussion that I thought was going to be super friendly and we were just going to tie everything up with a nice bow, but now it's going to be a fucking battle, whatever. Let's talk about what we're drinking tonight. I stole your segment, Matt. That's okay. (laughs) You have the right to steal anything you want on this show. (laughs) But do I? It's fine. Yes, you do. So let's talk about... (laughs) So let's talk about what we're all drinking tonight. So tonight, I have been drinking. I think the last episode, been I was keyword on. Hat, he has been drinking. That's the yes. keyword. Yes. <laughs> The last episode I was on, I believe I needed to kind of cut back for logistical reasons, and um, I was drinking Rocky's ginger ale. 
Well, I am back to Rocky's ginger ale, but ah, <laughs> but I have added some whiskey acres bourbon. Speaking of, we were talking earlier about craft distilleries. Yeah. Um, so speaking of craft distilleries, this is a bourbon. It's I'm going to see if I can remember the mash bill. I think it was 75% corn, 15% wheat, and 10% malted rye. Or, I'm sorry, malted barley, barley. I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, shout out to Whiskey Acres. And oh, yeah. it's has, this is a gr- great cocktail bourbon. Um, and also they do a vodka, and I know... Um, it's a very unique vodka, but this is their, gosh, their spirits are just great for cocktails. They got such a unique flavor that they just stand out in whatever you put them in. Um, so yeah, so I like to, to usually mix them with something, um, as well as drink them neat, of course, but yeah, just really good stuff. Nice. We definitely love our craft spirits. Mm -hmm. How about you guys? Well, Tuesdays and Wednesdays now are my new weekend. I started a new job, and now Tuesdays and Wednesdays, like I said, are my new weekend. So I'm doing most of my drinking on those days. Today is Wednesday, and uh, I've been drinking mostly Isle single malts for the last uh-huh. several several hours. Yes, you like it to uh, peat. I like it to peat. I like it to smoke. Gross. Yes. it's not gross you just haven't found one you like a lot that's all no i'm never gonna like that shit pee week you like that okay totally different though i mean if you want to discuss that that's gonna be a whole other show okay why pete week does not taste anything like an isla whiskey got a point there but i yeah i've never had a really heavily peated scotch before i'm curious to know if i'd like it or not I am too because your palate is fucking weird. And I have a feeling <laughs> I have a feeling that you might like it actually. I might. Based you never on know. the you pull out very weird notes when you taste bourbon. It, bourbon in specific. I rarely hear you talk about like caramel and you know popcorn and butter and cotton candy and you go for the strange things charcoal toothpaste yeah <laughs> mint and he says mint a lot mint. too yeah. mint yeah mint toothpaste though he says or what's so, it what's it pith pith yes orange pith, pith. <laughs> orange, orange pith, pith. yeah <laughs> but the fun thing to do is this it's scary as shit but it's fun take an isla peated whiskey and take a highland peated whiskey and blind taste them. Hmm. If you think peated whiskeys are all the same, oh, hell no. I know. I mean, I've had to take so many whiskey classes where I had to cringe through the scotch portion. Because usually they focus solely on, I don't know why they do this. Because it's very unapproachable. Solely on heavily peated whiskeys. And so I was always like, I don't like scotch. Until I was introduced to Highland whiskey that is not peated. Great introduction, great way to start drinking scotch. And then Pete Week from the Balvany is, I think you guys all know, is my favorite, one of my favorite scotches in the world. And it, I would never imagined I would ever in my life like a peated whiskey. But it's so soft and subtle. Because the problem for me is I have a very acute sense of smell and taste. 
-hmm. So anything can overwhelm me. If a whiskey has too much of any, it absolutely overwhelms me. So I think that's one of the reasons I have such a difficult time with Isla whiskey. It's one of the reasons that I have a very difficult time with certain super high proof, like a Booker's. I got to chill that stuff out and I've got to almost drink it in a fucking bowl so that it can aerate enough to be for me to be able to really kind of come together with those flavors. Yeah, and I'm it's a blessing and a curse. And yes. what Sailor says is 100% correct. I was just teasing her about the peat, but Highland <laughs> Pete, Highland, Highland Pete, and Island Pete are very, very different. So different. Very yeah. different. Very different. Uh, but I am drinking Ardbeg Ugadal. Always have trouble saying that, but it's a more that Smurf whiskey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't yes. remember what you yes. were drinking last yes. year. I called it. It's, it's the same one. It's the same bottle. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm consistent. But uh, <laughs> and I will reiterate what I said about it. Then is that it is it's it's big, it's smoky, it's meaty. And what I say by meaty is that like there's actual like beef jerky bacon notes on it. Ooh, it's yeah. so good. Yeah, like smoked bacon. Yeah. Um, so I think what I I think what I said when I first had it on the show was it was like eating a bacon sandwich in a peat bog next to a campfire. Oh, dude, I got to try this. Okay, sounds here's amazing. what okay. you might get, Ed. However, yeah. this is what you might get. Yes, you might get the smell of burnt grease <laughs> with the okay. taste of a pine air freshener. A little bit of lemon pledge got up your nose, specifically lemon pledge the 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 wood finishing shit. And then a very wet, musty sock that sat out overnight <laughs> when the morning dew hit it after a campfire had been doused. Bullshit. Though, <laughs> I like Matt's description better. I'm not saying that he's not going to get yours. What I'm yeah. saying is that's the alternative. So you're either going to get Matt's description, and if you do, you're going to be like, fuck yeah. But you might get what I taste and smell, and you might be like, this sucks. And I'll come back, and it'll be like, tastes like molasses... With uh... here, go and buy the ten. Go and buy the ten-year Ardbeg. It's like forty-five dollars, so it's not a huge investment. And then that could be a good bridge for you, hopefully, into something more grandiose. Okay, or better yet, I'll hit up the local whiskey bar. There you go. Yeah, and ask for Ardbeg ten. That's what I always tell people. Thank you, Ed. That's what I always tell people to do. Don't buy a fuck. Okay, see, Matt is in the retail business. I'm behind the bar. No, no, this is such a great example. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. Like, I'm like, buy a bottle. Buy the like, inexpensive bottle to start off. And I'm like, no, 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 go just buy one dram of it and make sure you like it. Which there's right and wrong to both because I think we've discussed several times when you taste whiskey, you can't sometimes just taste it once. Your environment is going to play a huge part of it. What you just ate is going to play, or if you're eating, by the way, we're getting a huge thunderstorm right now, just in case the listeners hear some crazy weird <laughs> noises. I'm looking out the window. All hell is about to break loose. Anyway, <laughs> um, so there might be something to that, Matt. Uh, if only you could buy half bottles. If only we had that in this country where you could say, I'll take a couple of drams so I can really take my first dram let it rest the next day, go back to it again, and see if the different, you know, times and atmospheres make a difference. Yeah, about the best you can do here is a 375 milliliter, that, yeah. which I do have a 375 of the uh, the campfire whiskey. Oh, High West? From High West. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
In New England, we call them nips. And most people but call those them, are just like the airplane bottles, right? Yeah, those. Are, well, that's you can get two. You can get two to three tasting drams out of a nip, out of an airplane. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's super expensive to do it that way. So I will say that in my, at my new job now, uh, whose name I can't say yet, yet, yep. yet, um, <laughs> that I do have the opportunity to pour a lot of samples for customers. So I will say that it has it has given me the opportunity to do blind tastings with customers. So I mean, that's can you ask that at any of those stores that you work at? What's that? Can you ask? So the the store that you work at is a national chain. Yes. That we're not mentioning right now. Yes. Can you ask for samples at any of those chains, or is that just specific? I don't know because I know my I, I know <laughs> they have a lot of open bottles already. So mm. I have a lot to choose from. Yes. I'll just say that. I've always been like my dream liquor store would be one where there was a tasting bar where before you buy the bottle, you can freaking taste it. We Not have, only taste it. We have but, a tasting bar. Yes, we right, do. Right, but have a person yeah. there that could educate you on it. Well, that's it's like me. going that's into, uh, okay, trust me, I have teenage daughters. <laughs> going into an altar or something where they all have these testers of all these different perfumes and yeah, exactly. makeup things and but all exactly. that. You would never, okay, as a woman, I would never dream to buy a perfume without smelling it first. Yeah. But how the fuck? Same with cologne. Like, how could you ever buy it without smelling it? What You're going to trust that it says it smells like a man who slept with 30 women the past <laughs> two months and wears leather shoes and has walked on the beach twice this week and has... A glimmer of Irish in his eyes. That's awfully specific. <laughs> Have you read some of the perfume descriptions? No, I haven't. They're kind of that dumb. And cologne ones. Have you seen the Bells commercials? of elderberries. Exactly. So, okay, it's the same for spirits. What the fuck? You should be able to smell it. And have a little dram before you... It's like, okay, you go to a bar and there's a yeah. beer on tap. Have you yeah, ever been said no? I exactly. Yeah, so they always give me a sample. Yeah. I always say, "Can I have a splash, please?" I'm not familiar with it. May I please have a splash? This is a law we must change. I'm going to champion this. I'm in favor. I'm in favor. We'll forget it all about it tomorrow. <laughs> well, hey, distilleries have tasting bars for a reason, right? Yeah, of course. There you go. What are you drinking? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't gotten to you yet. So I am drinking a highball right now. I'm actually drinking a black highball, I call them. I'm drinking some high-proof Elijah Craig. It's a barrel pick. Ooh, from that's one I haven't been able to find yet. Mm-hmm. I am so jealous. So is that a lazy cocktail or a not lazy cocktail? This is definitely a lazy cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> and they call Austin special. It's in a mason jar. <laughs> so Kayla hey, and I... Hey. Hey! Yeah, Ed, yeah. We, got, we, got two la- we got two lazy cocktails here. <laughs> yeah. Two lazy cocktails in mason jars. What brand is mine's a care? Actually, it's not a mason. No, mine's a ball mason. Mine's okay. legit. Yeah, mine. I don't. I think I. I end up. I take. Oh no, it is. It's this is still a mason brand. It's still mason. Okay. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, I think they should, bought all of them. But you yeah. should have your. You should have your highball on a ball mason jar. Would have been better. Well, I should have it in an actual highball glass, but well, whatever. Why I'm calling it all right, all right, all right. Anyway, I'm drinking um, a beautiful 
uh, store pick, Elijah Craig, and I've added a little bit of Amaro Nonino and Chinar to it with some uh, soda water and some lemon juice, and boom, that's a black highball nice. to me. You know, Amaro Nonino is so freaking good. Amaro Nonino is the nectar of the gods. It is. It is the most diabolical shit ever made. (laughs) It's so good. I like to add Chinar, though, to give it a little bit of a, like a minerally base, you know, because it's made from artichoke primarily. So I'll always put a little in there just to like, unless I want it to be a little bit sweeter. Mm. I'm a bitter profile, so I can read some bitters as sweet to me because I don't like sweet. Um, so I'm I'm a definitely a savory girl. I'm an umami girl. I like salt. I like butter. You know, so I find it a, a really good balance. Those are the two I always always have in my house is chinar and nonino. If I don't have many others, those are the two I'll always get. Like if I'm on mm-hmm. a budget, it's like these two pups and I'm good to go. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm. Drinking. And as I was putting together my drink for the night, I was thinking about. All of the pairings that we've done in this series. And I thought it would be fun, instead of doing a specific pairing for tonight, because how the fuck are you going to pair one whiskey with everything we're going to talk about tonight? Can't. I mean, I think I did a pretty good job on our David Bowie episode. <laughs> it was He's he's like 18,000 bands and one guy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, well, right. Okay, if we're going to pair a whiskey with David Bowie, which David Bowie, right? So mm-hmm. that's why I that's why I did what I did in the in the whiskey pairing. Similar thing here. So Matt, you did first you chose the dry fly wheat whiskey. Yes. I did the Yamazaki and the George T Stag. Who did the wild turkey rye? That was me as well. That was you too. Okay, that's I thought yeah. so. You did two and I did two. So as I was like kind of typing this up and I was looking back at our notes and kind of thinking about it, I find it very interesting. If you look at those four together and you think about the nineties and (laughs) depending on who you were in the nineties, what you were listening to, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like the genres are so much more muddled right now. You know, it used to be, you're a raver kid. You're a metalhead. You're a rocker. You're a hip hop. Like, you know what I mean? In a way, you're yeah. kind of defined by what you listen to. That's very much reflected in our four whiskey choices for '90s alt rock. It's like something for everyone. And I don't it really. really it really we, is. Yeah. yeah, we didn't intend to do it that way. So yeah. we've got a wheat whiskey. We've got a Japanese whiskey. We've got a bourbon, and we've got a rye. Wow. One is one whiskey is a craft from the northwest it's actually from washington state the yamazaki is a phenomenal japanese whiskey george t stag is a very i would say an older traditional style of bourbon and your wild turkey rye is a classic rye that would come out of kentucky so indicative of all of the flavors of 90s alt rock wouldn't you agree i agree and I think that that just lends the perspective. Yep. It lends to what we've talked about is that all of these all these bands are grouped together. They shouldn't be grouped together. It's <laughs> exactly. really different. There you it's go. true. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like that's all whiskey, you know. So yeah. I I mean, and those who are not big whiskey drinkers might not understand, but you have, you know, whiskeys from the Pacific Northwest taste very different 
than whiskeys from other parts of the country. A Japanese whiskey has, I mean, the Yamazaki taste related won't taste whether you like it or not. You can taste the two things side by side and go, these aren't the same spirit even. How could you call them both whiskey? That's the beauty of whiskey. All four of these expressions could taste, they do taste completely different from each other. Yet they are all whiskey. Yep. I love that. Comes love down it. to the, what is it, the terroir? I know they use, the they use that term a lot in wine, but it applies to whiskey as well. Oh, it absolutely applies to whiskey. Um, yes. We've discussed this many times on actually a lot of the different shows on the network, and Kayla and I also discussed this. I'm going to be hosting a class on American Whiskey, The Journey Through History, and it is all about terroir, all of it. So, and I, for me, the origin of whiskey in America comes from apple brandy, actually. So I always start with apple brandy. Yes. And there are naysayers out there that say it doesn't matter. Go fuck yourself. Oh, go fuck yourself <laughs> indeed. No, it's Any true. distiller will be like, uh, it fucking matters. If you I are think it's mean- mostly from, I've gotten it from the wine people that say that. How did, I don't. I think. I think that they get of defensive. Them of all people should say it matters. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it's I don't know. it. Yeah, it's it's been said. Let me just say that. Ew. Yeah. I mean, a whiskey. If you're using okay, so you know, if you're using rye grain from New York State, which is now legally called Empire Rye, if it's produced in the Empire State. And you take a rye produced in Indiana, for example, there's a marked difference. Huge. Huge flavor difference. If you drink a barley, a a whiskey that is made with barley from Texas, which they are very good at making this very mesquite smoked flavor style from barley from Texas versus Westland, Washington State or Oregon State, which is much closer to scotch whiskey. Because we can grow peat here very well. Mm-hmm. Our barley is going to taste... It tastes totally different. As it should. I mean, the relation from... If you want to travel by car, you know, from France to Ireland, you're going to travel from Texas to Washington State. Why shouldn't... You know, just because we're called one country, of course our terroir is very, very different. And it makes a huge difference in our whiskey, in any spirit, for that matter, except for vodka. <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> no. Nope. All right. Well, how about that? Was a great discussion, guys. Again, I love these spontaneous whiskey discussions we get into, what we don't really plan on. But uh, that was a good one. It was. But before we get into our main discussion, I really need to take a pee break. It's been a long time, you guys, since I've had to say we need to take a break before I pee my pants. Hey guys, I want to tell you about my new friends, Liquid Death. Did you know that the average aluminum can contains over 70% recycled material and the average plastic bottle contains only 3%? Aluminum is actually infinitely recyclable. I didn't know that, but it's true. Uh, Cool fact, all of the aluminum produced since 1888, over 75% of it is still in current use. That's just nuts. When plastic bottles are recycled, the plastic is such low quality that it can't be made into new bottles. That's dumb. 
The material is usually sold to China to make cheap carpets and textiles, and a lot of that ends up in landfills. Sadly, if plastic production isn't curbed, plastic pollution will outweigh fish pound per pound by 2050. So we should all be murdering our thirst with 100% mountain water from the Alps. And that's exactly what liquid death does. But how does it work, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Our proprietary thirst murdering, says liquid death, process begins with forming a rope of veins that will wrap around your thirst's head and strangle it. Once liquid death reaches your thirst brain, all of your thirst memories will be replaced with repeating loops of its own head imploding. Damn. Which is exactly what happens next by causing your thirst head to implode and its brain to squirt out of its ears. I mean, that sounds like it would work. So a little bit about the company. It was a handful of people that started Liquid Death with the diabolical plan to completely obliterate bottled water. Marketing cliches by taking the world's healthiest beverage, mountain water, and making it just as funny and stupid and entertaining as the unhealthy brands across energy drinks, soda, and beer. Also, plastic water bottles are a complete shift, but aluminum cans are far and away the most sustainable beverage container by virtually every measure. So, my friends, let me tell you, we all need to start murdering our thirst with liquid death mountain water. It is 100% mountain water from the Alps, truly, not like what is in most of those um, water bottles. It's usually tap water or who knows what. Um, And the cans are freaking cool and the name is freaking cool and it's a really awesome cause. I mean, if it's just so easy to grab this aluminum can instead of a plastic bottle and we're still gonna have healthy oceans for our kids and grandkids, then do it. So hashtag death to plastic. And uh, you can find more about Liquid Death on our Instagram page and in our Facebook group. And we thank them for their support of the Metal Rockin' Whiskey Show. And we're back. Thanks for the break, guys. I needed it desperately. Well, you're welcome. No problem. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the whole alt-rock thing, grunge, the 90s, whatever. If you've been listening along, you know the bands that we've covered. We've covered Smashing Pumpkins. we covered Nirvana. We replayed our Soundgarden episode. We did Stone Temple Pilots. We did Alice in Chains. So we wanted to kind of sum it up and, and mention briefly some of the other bands that I'm going to say I felt were indicative of the time were starters, almost like, what do they call the IT starters? Like, there's a term for it where they, incubators, almost like music incubators from some of the most famous alt-rock bands that came out of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um so, and apparently you guys have some things to add or some things to argue. I have a couple Let's, things to say later on. Yep. I'm sure you will. Let's start with Mud Honey. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Mud Honey. Not to be confused with Mud Vein. De- definitely what? not. Oh, God. Ugh, horrible. <laughs> Jeez. All right. I don't know where that came well, from. Way to get this off on anyway. a bad foot, man. Ugh, I need to clean my mouth. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right, so Mud Honey, Mud Honey was formed in Seattle in 1988 after the band Green River broke up. Mud Honey was formed by singer and rhythm guitarist Mark Arm, lead guitarist Steve Turner, bassist Matt Lukin or Luckin, um, later replaced by Guy Madison and drummer Dan Peters. 
Mudhoney's earliest releases um, on, of course, Sub Pop, which uh, I think we've mentioned probably on every yes. episode of this series. They, they are the they are the incubator. Yes, they are the exactly. Yeah, they were so Mudhoney was a huge, huge, undeniable influence on the Seattle music scene. In particular, their debut single "Touch Me, I'm Sick." and the Super Fuzz Big Muff EP. More than almost any other release of the era, they inspired the dirty, high-distortion sound that would later be, be called grunge or become grunge. Apples and oranges, maybe? Super Fuzz and Big Muff. Is that Was that named after, like, guitar effects pedals or something like that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. It sounds like it. Nah, I don't think so. We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. We'll go with that. But Sailor, of course, later on, uh, they began also mixing in heavy blues rock and punk rock into their sound at various stages of their career. Uh, a lot of longevity they had um, compared to some of their contemporaries. They never really gained much commercial success, however. Uh, but as I said, their career was long, and they actually produced nine studio albums. Uh, and if you actually look at many of the bands we've discussed on the show... Mudhoney has actually inspired tons of so-called, you know, quote-unquote grunge and alt-rock musicians. I don't think there's any denying that. And I, I'd, I'd be in full agreement with that. I mean, that's really the reason that I started off with Mudhoney, because, you know, they formed in 88. They were, so, you know, if you're from the Seattle area back in that time, they were the Nirvana before Nirvana was possible and what i mean by possible was music like that to be mainstream music like that to be all over the airwaves mud honey was huge and if you were into underground music at the time um you would have known mud honey as well in other parts of the country as i i knew of mud honey very very well at the time uh i think it was probably the early 90s i knew of mud honey probably even after they broke up um because I liked underground music and, you know, kind of was in that scene of tape trading and all of that and would listen to, you know, smaller bands if they came close to my area, whatever. So that was kind of my intention that if you if you don't know Mud Honey, um, we're going to play a song, a, a part of a song from from Mud Honey. We'll, we'll check them out and listen. I think you'll find you're going to hear a lot of your favorite bands from the 90s in their sound and it kind of gives you like a window into where a lot of that inspiration came from. So that was kind of my perspective of why I started out with them. So we'll play you a song right now. kind of kind of see what you're talking about there i thought you were right yeah anyway the next band in our lineup is called screaming trees Um, now this band was formed in ellensburg washington in 1985 by vocalist mark lanigan guitarist gary lee connor 
bass player Van Connor and drummer Mark Pickerel. Uh, I wonder if he's any relation to Dave Pickerel. Probably I know. not. I mean, immediately anyway, I thought the same thing. Dave. I'm sure not. <laughs> um, I know. R.I.P. Dave. Pickerel um, had been replaced by Barrett Martin by the time the band reached its most successful period. And, um, of course, they've been widely associated with grunge. Um, but I don't know, like these other bands, how accurate it is. But mm-hmm. the band's sound incorporated hard rock and psychedelic elements. Um, sounds a lot like Pink Floyd, if you put it that way. Though <laughs> um, I think we've determined that the term grunge often misses the mark and has become, of course, a very broad term. Um, they did, however, have a major hit. Uh, were included on the singles movie soundtrack, which we have brought up many, many other times. times. Yeah. And yep, yep, yep. And that hit you may remember was called "Nearly Lost You." So it's interesting because if you listen to the song "Nearly Lost You," you'll be like, "What the fuck? I don't hear any grunge in this." Fair, absolutely fair. Um, in the '90s, though, when the song came out, you probably would have related it. So they ended up signing with Epic Records. Um, They released Uncle Anesthesia on Epic. It was produced by Chris Cornell, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Interesting fact. I've heard that name before. Yes, indeed. He actually produced several several other songs or records or helped write certain songs or records for a lot of the bands at the time. Um, He was kind of like the go-to session person. That's a terrible term, but I don't know how else to describe it. Um, their single Bed of Roses uh, from that album, Uncle Anesthesia, was a minor hit. Minor, that's a term by major labels. It was actually a really big hit. A big um, hit in a small area of the country? Uh, it was, I, I would say it was, a, it was a pretty decent hit all over the country. Okay. They don't think it's major because it wasn't like top 10 or some bullshit like that, you know? Um, so throughout the life of this band, they released seven studio albums, five EPs, and three compilations. They were not short-lived. And they're known as one of the pioneers of grunge and is said to be one of the most successful underground music acts of the 1990s. And they didn't break up until officially until 2000. Um, the crossovers with this band are too much to list here, unless we were to do a full episode on them. I I encourage you to look them up, even if you just Wikipedia them, Screaming Trees, the members of this band from start to finish, you'll be like, oh, they were in pretty much <laughs> pretty much every other <laughs> band at the time has been in this band at one point or another. Um, major, major crossover. So we'll play you a little bit from the Screaming Trees. Awesome song. Awesome song. Uh, But we move on uh, to our next band that we were highlighting, and that is Sonic Youth. And they were based in New York City, uh, finally formed in 1981. Uh, The founding members were Thurston Moore, play guitar, vocals, Kim Gordon, bass, vocals, and guitar, and Lee Ronaldo, uh, also guitar and vocals. 
remained together for the entire history of the band while Steve Shelley played drums, uh, followed a series of short-term drummers in 1985. They emerged from the experimental new wave art and no wave, excuse me, no wave. Yeah. art and music scene in New York before evolving into a much more conventional rock band uh, that became one of the most prominent American noise rock groups. I would say, like, as far as, for me, as far as sound goes and the manipulation of sound, I think that they were at the forefront, I would say. They did a lot of kooky You can't even argue that. Absolutely. They did a lot of kooky I mean... You could put Smashing Pumpkins there, but I think that these no guys way. were obviously way before Pumpkins way. came to the forefront. Yeah, way before. They're, they're, I mean, you know, noise rock came back in the early 2000s in underground hardcore. You had noise core. You had math core. You know, all those mm-hmm. bands. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, on, uh, there were a lot on conspiracy records. That that all came from Sonic Youth. I mean, for me, you know, I grew up in New York City. I, I, I was on the East Coast during this time, and... Whether you like them or not, they're a huge influence. They're a huge influence on everything. I think, in my opinion, everything that would happen in most genres of rock until the early two thousands, easily. Maybe. Easily. I'm not a fan. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be a fan, but you can but recognize you their I, influence. No, I, you can't. You can't really argue. I, I, I don't done. care yeah. for their sound. I lo- I, I really like them, but. Okay, but regardless of my opinion, they have been <laughs> praised for having uh, redefined what rock guitar could do. So take that as you you will. Uh, using a wide variety of unorthodox guitar tunings and preparing guitars with objects like drumsticks and screwdrivers to alter the instrument's timbre. Kind of reminds me of... Um, Jack White, what Jack White can do with a guitar. How about Jeff Buckley before Jack White? But anyway, the band is considered <laughs> to be a pivotal influence on the alternative and indie rock music. Some even say they are the influence for 90s indie rock that took a turn away from grunge. I would agree. And with that. after gaining a large underground following, and a critical praise through releases with SST Records in the late 80s. They experienced mainstream success throughout the 90s and 2000s after signing with the label DGC in 1990 and headlining the 1995 Lollapalooza Festival. DGC a lot also in the series because that was kind of the next step from some from sub pop and some smaller labels and also Lollapalooza was just another super like it was another live music incubator for a lot of these bands um I I just felt like it was you can't discuss 90s music or grunge without mentioning Sonic Youth whether you like them or not they have 
some of the bands that you really liked that we've discussed on the show and you're like, I'm a big fan. If you look at interviews, they'll say Sonic Youth was yeah, one of their I mean, biggest inspirations. And Sonic Youth, even though, again, like, you don't have to make music just like, like oh, my favorite band. It doesn't mean you're going to make music like them. But Sonic Youth, most of the bands that we discussed, I did my research and I looked at interviews and I looked at influencers. Almost all of the bands we discussed in this series talked about Sonic Youth being huge influencers yeah. in their music so we had to put them in here had to. We, spent, we spent so much time talking about how someone like billy corgan spent so much time manipulating his sound and his guitar sound yep. where do you think that came from exactly I mean, they were the predecessors to what he did absolutely and yes. and i listened to their whole catalog and it's there so absolutely. whether you like them and or not talks, you can't discount that right. yeah and he talks about them a lot you know, they kind of gave permission to be fussy, as some called it, to be fussy musicians. Oh, yeah. Fussy about their sound. Because it's a rock band. You're expected to just go in there and drudge your shit out. You know, you know you're know, you supposed to do it Led Zeppelin style. And, like, the sound is the sound, man. That's not what's <laughs> happening anymore. <laughs> but literally, that's, that is literally a fucking quote from Jimmy Page. I will try and find it for you. He literally said that. Not in relation to any of this, but he literally said the sound is the sound, man. So, okay. In 88, they did a double LP, Daydream Nation, and it was really their first critical success. And that's when Sonic Youth, they they had acclaim. Um, In 2005, it was one of the 50 recordings chosen that year by the Library of Congress to be added to the National Recording Registry. The lead single from the album, Teenage Riot, was the first song from the band to reach significant success. They received big-time airplay in modern and college rock stations. And a number of rock magazines, including (sighs) the Rolling Stone, (coughs) hailed Daydream Nation as one of the best albums of the decade and Sonic Youth as the hot band in its hot issue. Whatever. <laughs> Rolling Stone again. I hate critics, period. I hate music critics. And there are a few awesome music critics that have said they are the most loathsome creatures that have ever existed. And I love those music critics. Because they're like, who the fuck am I to tell you about a perspective? And like, taste is so subjective, you know? Mm-hmm. You can say, like, well, here's my. You know, here's my knowledge of music and knowledge of the style, and here's my preference. But to say, like, a band sucks or is amazing, fuck you. Well, you know, unfortunately, distribution problems arose, and Daydream Nation was often difficult to find in stores. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. More actually considered Enigma Records. A cheap jack mafioso outfit, <laughs> and that's a direct and that's a direct quote. Direct quote, actually. yep. Yes, uh, but it was, it was. I want to see, the, I want to see that band name. By the way, do you know, cheap, do you know, cheap jack mafioso, mafioso outfit. Yeah. Do you know how many <laughs> bands found out that their records were being sold out of the back door? So that means that you weren't getting royalties on it. You weren't getting paid for your work on it, nor was the label for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. The label found out or the distrib- uh, distributor found out and didn't tell the band even worse, right? 
But there's so many artists. Joan Jett talked about this. Um, Cindy Lauper has. I mean, we're talking huge artists have had this problem, and it's fucking bullshit. Indeed, bullshit. But in 2011, Ronaldo announced that the band was ending for a while. Another direct quote. Uh, following the separation of married couple Gordon and Moore. So Thurston Moore updated and clarified the position in May 2014. As saying, Sonic Youth is actually on hiatus. The band is a democracy of sorts. And as long as Kim and I are working out our situation, the band can't really function reasonably. Gordon refers several times in her 2015 autobiography, Girl in a Band, to the band having actually split up. Mm-hmm. And not on say, hiatus. Yeah. I would say that it's much more accurate. Her book is incredible. It's such an incredible view of what it was like to be a female in music. Some of this shit she dealt with would blow your fucking blow your mind. Like you'd be like, no way. Yeah, the band split up. We yeah. know it's 2019. We know they split up. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot going on with this band, and um, it might we just might have to revisit this one in the future. I have a feeling we will because they have influenced more than just grunge and 90s alt rock. I agree. Let's move on to something that I don't agree with. I knew you were going to say this. I and, knew that is the, <laughs> and that is the inclusion of the forthcoming band in this discussion. But I will proceed. Please do. Radiohead. Yes. Formed, in, formed in England in 1985. <laughs> the band consists of Thom York. It's Tom. I won't Tom York. <laughs> Come on now. All right. Brothers Johnny Greenwood and Colin Greenwood, Ed O'Brien and Philip Selway. They have worked with producer Nigel Godrich and cover artist Stanley Donwood since 1994. After signing to EMI in 1991, Radiohead released their debut single, Creep, in 1992. It became, as we all know, an absolute crazy worldwide hit. Their popularity and critical standing rose to even greater heights with the release of their second album, The Bends, in 1995. Radiohead's third album, critically acclaimed OK Computer, brought them international fame, noted for its complex production and themes of modern alienation. Many feel it's a landmark record of the 90s and one of the best albums in popular music. But I'm a So, so, my friend, that's why I included this. But I feel like Radiohead, much like many people, the first thing they think about when they think about grunge music is Nirvana. The first thing, one of the first bands I think about when you talk about alternative rock in the 90s is Radiohead. Exactly. Radiohead is right there. Um, exactly. So, exactly. okay, I feel like we moved from grunge and alt rock to Britpop. This is what? not when okay. So, first of all, this, is, this, this is, is hold on. Right. This has right. nothing to do with Britpop. 
The band formed in 1985, first of all, and they didn't get a major hit until 1991. So in 1985, they were an actually functioning music group before many of the other bands that we've discussed in this series. They were an alternative sound in the 1990s. So they, and it is a rock sound. So there were two routes that happened, and we discussed this in another show, talking about the ravers and electronic music, and then there was the metalheads who tended to be more like the grungers and the rockers, right? There were two ways that rock went, and that's why it was so important to include Radiohead in this, is because they leaned more toward the electronic, what was going to be happening in rock music and alternative music. Think about this, 1991. How old were you in 1991, Matt? Why is that of any importance? It's a I think it shape, shapes your viewpoint on this Absolutely. band. Absolutely huge, I'll, and I'll explain why. How old were you in '91? I was seven. Okay, I had already graduated high school. Matt had as well, or Ed had as well. The music you listen to in your formative years is the music that will most likely stick with you for the rest of your life. You'll appreciate other music, but we now know the way the brain works that that's going to be your core music. But being there can give you a very different perspective, okay? I cannot speak to what it was really like to be there for the 60s rock when psychedelic rock and all of that happened like my mother and my father could. They could give me real-world, real-time experiences from having said, this shit was never played on the radio or this stuff was super subversive. We had never heard anything like this. We started to hear this, then we heard that. I don't know what that's like because by the time I started listening to music, that was all already established. So it was already a, a, an acceptable, established thing in my mind and for, my, for me listening, right? That is how you have to approach Radiohead. 1991, grunge music is not even grunge yet if you're not in Seattle. And they have Creep comes out in 92. Think about all the albums that released in 92. They were ahead of their time in being more electronic focused in their alternative rock music than the down tuning of guitars, if that makes sense, right? So they're on the precipice of all of this at the same, so they're, they are parallel to all of the bands we've talked about. It's all happening at the same exact time. Mm -hmm. I think you see it as a very different sound, which certainly, sure it is, but it's still an alternative sound back then. For us back then, their sound was very alternative. It was right, not mainstream at are all. We, are we not taking their entire body of work into account? Not just their first album or first two albums or three albums? So we're talking I think about that the band I think that they're going. Yeah. I don't care about their later albums because we're talking about 90s. Because then we have to talk about everybody else's albums after the 90s. If you really want to go down that road, we can do that. But I think that's irrelevant to the okay, discussion. Okay, but we, we mentioned OK Computer, and I don't put that into their first couple of albums at all. No, but the reason OK yeah. Computer is mentioned is because it brought them mainstream fame. Everybody sees, you might see Creep. So in 1992, you're too young to understand that even though Creep is a worldwide hit now it wasn't then in a way in a way that it was less popular than nirvana's hits if that makes sense now it may seem even more popular or more 
widely accepted, but it wasn't at the time. Does that make sense? Okay. So from right. 1992, this was alternative. This was a very alternative sound. This was a very alternative band. I could see how I that know that's song not the case now. Yeah. No, but I could wow. see how that song would fit in with what you're talking about. Yes. Right. Yeah. The whole and album. Blind Melon, No Rain well, came yeah. out at the same time as exactly. that, too. And that's another one of the exactly. staples of the alternative rock of the time. Yes. Yeah. So not only were they alternative in their sound, which they absolutely, undeniably, undoubtedly were. At the time, there was nothing like them. Very quickly, within two to three years, there was more sounds very similar to them. But they helped. They were even more alternative in how they approached their music and their fans. So they were one of the first pioneers in releasing their music through BitTorrent. In saying, we don't need a label, number one. Fuck having a label. We'll release our own goddamn music. And we're going to give it to the people how we want to. So in 2007, customers were able to download their album at their own price. And it charted. They did that before 2007, but the album didn't chart. And I think that had a lot to do with the label's strongholds. By 2007, the labels didn't have the stronghold that they 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 that they used to have they certainly don't now um they've sold more than 30 million albums and they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame this year and i think it's fair and i think they absolutely deserve that because they pioneered a sound at the time that did not exist it didn't i was there i remember it was a very new and different sound and it was considered especially their subject matter was considered very subversive at the time so that is why I felt it very, very important to include them in this summation of our series. And, of course, we also have Temple of the Dog, the 90s rock supergroup that formed in Seattle in 1990. It was conceived by vocalist Chris Cornell of Soundgarden as a tribute to his friend, the late, the late Andrew Wood, lead singer of the band's Malfunction and <laughs> other other love love was <laughs> Malfunction, I got it. Yeah, I <laughs> the lineup included uh, Stone Gossard on rhythm guitar, Jeff Ament on bass guitar, which who both happen to be ex-members of Mother Love Bone, uh, Mike McCready of Pearl Jam on lead guitar, and Matt Cameron of Soundgarden and later Pearl Jam on drums. Eddie Vedder even appeared as guest to provide some lead and backing vocals. Super group indeed. Oh, yeah. And uh, the band released its only album, of course, the self-titled Temple of the Dog in April 1991 through A&M Records. The album was recorded in actually only 15 days, produced by the band themselves. Hunger Strike became a duet between Cornell and Vetter. Cornell was still figuring out the vocals at practice when Vetter stepped in and filled in the blank, singing in the low parts because he saw it was hard for Cornell. As Cornell actually later described it, he sang half of what that song, not even knowing that I'd wanted the part to be there, and he sang it exactly the way I was thinking about doing it, just instinctively. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's fucking I, the amazing. interviews about that from all the guys that were there at that moment were so incredible because they said that Eddie was trying to not kind of assert himself. 
he was trying very hard not to step on Chris's toes. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Chris had to just say to him, just go for it, man. Just it, it, just do what you want to do, and then we'll figure it out later. You know, because he saw that, because Eddie has said to be, throughout his whole career, one of the sweetest dudes ever, and very, like, you know, I don't know. So he had to kind of push him, like, oh, well, just go for it. <laughs> he said when he went for it, he was like, well, guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of it can improve on that. And that's yeah, wow. for real. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, so Hunger Strike actually became Temple of the Dog's breakout single. It was also Eddie Vedder's first featured vocal on an actual record. On the 2011, yeah, on the 2011 documentary Pearl Jam 20, Vedder actually stated, in quote, that was the first time I heard myself on a real record. It could be one of my favorite songs that I've ever been on or the most meaningful. Isn't that mind blowing? Like he got to hear himself right? yeah. recorded and that produced does. for the first time on that before they finished the Pearl, first Pearl Jam record. And still I, a very popular, still a very popular radio, um, radio. Oh song. yeah, you hear it all the time. Yeah, fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, so they received very high praise from music critics at the time of its release, but <laughs> the album was not widely recognized. Until 1992, um, when Pearl Jam broke through. So, um, I find that interesting that they, because I remember seeing it on, I'm sure it was MTV the first time I heard it, and recognizing Eddie Vedder. And when I was researching the story, I was like, well, I wouldn't have known him yet. Like, how does that work? And then, that's because it didn't really break out until after Pearl Jam was known, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and I think it was 92. I think it was, I think it hit much after that. I think it was 93, 94 when it really hit the mainstream from my memory. So they did a tour in 2016 to celebrate the 25th anniversary of that album, which I think was absolutely beautiful. And we're going to play the song off of that album. But it's on the table, the fire's cooking And the farm and babies and the slaves are out working And it's on the table, the mouths are choking But I'm going hungry All right, that gives me the feels. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a band that is responsible for the development of both grunge and sludge metal. I will fight anyone that wants to argue this with me. I will fight you too. You have two oh, people that will fight you. Let's do it. Yes. I will fight I you. Love on the, this. I love that. I love this band. Then what are we fighting about? No, I'm You'll not fight fighting with you. Me? I'm oh, fighting with you. Yes. Oh, fighting, not fighting. Oh. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. So any anyone that will beside fight you will also have to fight me. Yes. Fuck beside yeah. you. Okay. Yes. Um. So this band that we are talking, well, about talk about is was formed in 1983 again in Washington State. They've mostly performed as a trio as well as a quartet later on with two drummers and bassists in recent years. Um, since 1984, vocalist and guitarist Buzz Osborne and drummer Dale Crover have been their constant members. The band was named after <laughs> supervisor at a local <laughs> thr- 
story. I love the story. That's awesome. Where Osborne worked as a clerk. Melvin was disliked by other employees, and the band members felt it would be an appropriately ridiculous name. I love this. Okay, so obviously we're talking about the band, the Melvins. If you don't know who the Melvins, I call them the Melvins, but they're actually just Melvins. I don't know. I've always called them the Melvins. If you don't know who Melvins are, go fucking listen to them. We're going to play a clip, but you have to listen to them. If you at all love sludge metal, whatever you want to call it, dirty rock, grunge rock, all of that shit. The Melvins, man, they were yes. it. They were fucking everything. Yeah. I have a, uh, have a confession to make. I have no idea who the Melvin, who Melvins are. <laughs> <laughs> Go right, listen. So, I totally gonna... missed Melvins. Okay, so, so this is great. And in the next couple weeks, Listen to the Melvins whenever you get the chance. And then when you're ready, we're going to talk about it. We'll come back to it on a future show and tell us what your perception is, especially because you were there for all this stuff. So I'd be really curious to see what you think of that. Yeah, listen to to Houdini. That's the name of that album. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the first one. We're going to play something off Houdini a little bit. Not not to say that I haven't heard the name before, but I've just never heard their music. That I so, know of. Yeah. Um, Buzz Osborne, to me, is mm. an amazing frontman. And he's one of the few that I feel like, if you if you listen to him sing, I feel like I could pick him up out of that band, and I can place him into any other number of bands. Right. And it would work out, it would work out just fine. <laughs> like, if I put him, like, like I'm, you, all right, you, listeners can kill me if I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I could put him in Megadeth, and that shit would work. I yes, swear. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And sludge metal and doom metal throughout the late 90s and early 2000s, right? All the doom, hardcore, all yes. that doom metal, yeah. all that. Like I just mentioned before, the me- all that shit. Just like I, I would say, you could, t- you could have taken Keith Moon, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, and put them yeah. in an You can transplant them. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And like all, literally probably all of the bands of that period and it would have worked you're absolutely right about osborne 100 percent. yeah yeah so as we discussed their career is very long and illustrious uh they have crossovers with pretty much everyone from the seattle scene much literally like the everyone yeah yeah <laughs> they were signed to atlantic for a while but uh i just don't think that atlantic knew what to do with them at the time no. um it's a shame but they didn't really understand them because they were you know, they're a burgeoning sound, as, we have, as we've said. Um, and really a damn shame, because I think um, had a major label actually known what to do with them, uh, music might sound very different. I feel right very strongly about that point. If somebody true. had yeah. understood who the fuck they were, we discussed this a little bit on the Twisted Sister episode. There was one guy from the label that was like, you have got to sign this fucking band. I believe that if someone had known what to do with Melvin's music would absolutely sound so different right now. Things would, it would have propelled the change. The change would have happened earlier, which I think would have widened, right? That genre, at least that genre. Well, they, they span so many genres. I really would be so curious. What would it think? Oh, can you imagine if, 
they were developed back then. Oh. I mean, that's one of the biggest strikeouts to me huge. as far as huge, huge strikeout. I mean, what a shame. well, yeah. interesting bit of Melvin's trivia here. They opened for Tool in 2002, and even um, there is a picture on the Tool website which depicts the Melvins um, along with words that say, uh, Melvins say Tool sucks, spelled out in lunch meat, of all things. (laughs) (laughs) The the photo was taken apparently on tour uh, while they were on tour with Tool in Australia. By the way... Tool feels like they owe everything to Melvins, as they do, like we just mentioned. Um, They were all huge Melvin fans when they were younger, so (laughs) Tool was more excited to tour with the Melvins than the Melvins were excited to to tour with Tool, of course. It was one of those weird origin story things. But I don't think, I don't know if the picture is still on their website, but you can Google it. Just Google Melvin say Tool sucks, and, and that sucks with an X. And they did take all of their lunch meat, I think, from, like, two green room meals to spell it out. It's fucking amazing. (laughs) But let's stop right here for a minute because I really think it's fair to do a full episode on Melvin's. And I have a really good buddy, Ryan, who's a mega fan. He's super knowledgeable about the band. He already said he would be a guest. He's hilarious. His story, his own story is incredible. Um, He owns one of the most kick-ass bakeries in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. You will be surprised when we dig into Melvin's how many bands of what we now think different genres say that the Melvin's inspired them and where you will hear their sounds. So I think that would make for a kick-ass episode. And now we're going to play a little Hmm. bit of that music. Maybe not, because I believe, gentlemen, both of you or one of you takes issue with the band I left out or that I included. I would say I take take issue, but there is one band um, in particular I remember from the time who I guess to me really stood out. And Sailor, I'm surprised being the champion of uh, women in Iraq around these times of the riot girl movement and everything, you didn't bring up uh, Veruca Salt. Ooh. <laughs> you put me in a really bad spot there, Ed. Thanks. Oh. Not a fan, I gotta say. Really? Okay. I was going through... Um, Not at all. Some of the top lists of grunge music from the 90s, just comparing different people's lists, and I saw that, that come hum up and in one of the lists in one of somebody's top no, 10. The Riot Girl movement, uh, the Riot Girl movement was born out of the grunge scene because there was really no space for women at the time. 
And I think our series has been very indicative of that and has illustrated that very well. So we had to spawn our own genre and our own scene at the time. And so you have you have the Riot Girl movement. And we talk about that a lot on Pretty Good for a Girl. We have covered several of the Riot Girl bands already, and we will continue to do so. It's really the basis for my wish to create that show. Um, you know, you have Slater Kinney, and you have L7, and you have Bikini Kill. You have, you, you have Blondie. You have, you know, the Runaways, who are really the, you know, Blondie and the Runaways really sparked that. Before later, you had Bikini Kill and, and Slater Kinney and L7 and all of those bands. Um, I hate to mention Hole, uh, unfortunately, because of the later life of Courtney. But yeah, they're Love, Hole would definitely be in the conversation. They were, they were, they're definitely in the conversation. Um, it, it is sadly very separate. It's very separate, um, and and that is just really kind of uh it's a glimpse back into the placement women had in rock and in music at the time veruca salt to me was just a pop radio band i I really don't give them a lot of thought really wasn't a fan of them wasn't really interested in them i know they come from the seattle scene there all the other bands i mentioned have much more placement to me in music than that band does fair enough and while i i mentioned it i was looking at a bunch of these um top um grunge songs of the 90s one thing i noticed there was one common thread through all of them that i looked at anyway i mean i didn't look at like at a hundred lists but the few that i did look at they pretty much universally um chose smells like teen spirit as their number one song i mean everything beyond that it's a grab bag, but they yeah. all recognize "Smells Like Teen Spirit" as the top grunge song from. That's the anthem, that I think. Of that, yeah, I think yeah. that is the anthem of the time period of the sound. Whether it deserves it, I think it's just w- one particle of the sound and the uh, atmosphere of the time. But I think if you're going to look back and have to sum it all up, sure. Mm-hmm. I would disagree. I think that's. I wouldn't agree or disagree. Probably, I could say if someone said that's the song that put grunge on the map, I wouldn't argue against it. Yeah. 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 Sure. So, yeah. 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 I would agree. But I do have a band as well that I think should have been included. Okay. In this, I think they have a lot of similarities to some of the bands in here as far as longevity goes and um, cons- consistency in their sound. Um, they have probably one of the most controversial band names. They've gotten a lot of flack for their band name. Um, and that's Butthole Surfers. I kind of had a feeling yeah. that's who you're going to bring up. Yeah. Huh. Although, okay. 
I feel like the butthole surfers are a different time period for me. That's more, yeah. I was thinking that's, to me, that's that's an earlier 80s punk. That's an anthrax. To me, butthole surfers and anthrax and DRI, right? DRI, butthole surfers, anthrax, SOD. They're all in the same group. I, for could, me. I don't put I, them in '90s alt rock at all. But I could agree with you. But their biggest hits were in the early to mid '90s. Hits as so, far as what? As far as radio hit? Okay. Yeah. They were not popular with those of us that bought their albums in the '80s anymore. That's why I'm gonna sit. That's why I wouldn't have included them. To me, the butthole surfers belong in the discussion of the '80s, just like all the bands I just mentioned. That's when they became popular for the people that actually were into that kind of music. Their chart hits, like what the fuck charted in the nineties? I don't, wouldn't even know what. Maybe ninety, ninety one. Okay, maybe nineteen ninety one is still the eighties though, in a way. <laughs> well, for that, but that's the weird thing. That's the Unless weird it's all thing about is thrash. that. Yeah. No, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. It, it, yeah. it's, that's where the breakaway started to happen, though. So in one way, it was the end of the 80s, and in some way it was the beginning of the 90s. was the ending of that like thrash, DIY metal shit, but yeah. it was also the beginning of grunge. Like how, you know, it's going to be a crossover thing, but for me, their butthole surfers is So you're saying they were 80s. past their prime before, they were, yeah. they were past their prime before we... The time period we're discussing here. Abs- I would think so, absolutely. Ed, what do you think? I think they're not. They weren't on my radar anymore. Yeah, but if you if you mention that that band, um, I primarily think of them in the eighties um, as that that was their heyday for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it'd be almost like you know talking about Pearl Jam being one of the top bands of the early 2000s. It, it's just right. not... Mm. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense, right? Or say Metallica, because Metallica released that horrific album, St. Anger, in what, 2003 or four or something? Yeah. Saying like, oh, yeah, well, sure, it was a chart topper, but who gives a fuck? They're not defined by that fucking stupid album or that time period. Same with Butthole Servers. To me, they belong with the late 80s, they belong with Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, DRI, SOD, Anthrax. That's all the stuff that they belong with. And I had their first two albums, and that was in the 80s. So I, I don't think of them as being grunge or alt-rock of the 90s at all. I see them as 80s metal. All right, and I, punk, punk hardcore, yeah. hard rock metal, whatever. And I had one other band written here, and then I kind of crossed it out because I had second thoughts about it. But... Since you put Radiohead in here, I, I put REM in here too, and then oh. I crossed them out. Yeah, yeah, and then I crossed them out. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but that was a whole different genre. They weren't alt rock. They're pop. They were pop. They've always been popular. That's pop rock. I would. That's not yeah. rock. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's why, and that's why I crossed them out. Yeah. yeah. No, they're of the '90s. Sure, they're yeah, they're yeah. a band of the '90s, but we mm-hmm. could all say also say Right Said Fred is a band of the '90s. I'm too sexy for my body guy. <laughs> oh, like, come on. <laughs> radio, if you want to go on radio hits of the 90s, uh, it's all the same genre. REM is, has nothing to do with alternative, really, or of rock, really. That's why, that's why I crossed them out. Okay. Yeah. 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 
Oh, I think we agree. Yeah. Unless, I mean, do you feel differently about butthole servers now, or do you still feel the same way? I don't know. I think you you brought up examples of Metallica and and Pearl Jam in the early two thousands. I I would like to think that that they were a little bit more consistent with their sound than those two other bands. Um, but maybe they weren't. I don't know. I think maybe uh, I their thought, sound wasn't as because uh, I mean you're, you're talking wanted about big, as much anymore. Maybe but you're, talking but, about, you're talking about big changes with Pearl Jam, who by the early two thousands were on pop stations and metallica who you know we've covered their change ad nauseum on the show you know okay but um, as far as sound goes i don't think it just goes by that definition because if that's the case then i'm already in my 90s because the stray cats has been played on on oldies music stations for 20 fucking years i mean <laughs> um uh, i the think the stray both- cats is not your oldies 50s rock you know, Excuse the, me. the word I think we're looking for here is relevance. Sure. How relevant were they in the 80s and how relevant were they in the 90s? But we're talking about 90s alternative rock and grunge And that, that's rock. my point. I'd say butthole surfers were a hell of a lot more relevant in the 80s than they were in the 90s. That's the fucking That's why yeah. I don't think they have a place on this. And bands that were list. alternative... You have to realize later they're not alternative anymore. They're not subversive anymore. They're not underground anymore. So just because later on Pearl Jam is played as elevator music doesn't mean that they weren't alternative at the time. So I think we have to just stick to that 90s. That's the difficult thing about discussing music genres. Because you go down eight gazillion rabbit holes. Of course. Absolutely. You know. So I think us sticking to the early 90s, really, you know, early to mid 90s, what was considered alternative at the time, what would have been considered grunge or subversive or underground-ish at the time, those big bands is kind of where that our circle is, I think. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't consider butthole surfers in that at all. Okay, the only reason I brought it up, and other than that, I think that they kept a consistent sound throughout that time, but... If you're going to say, despite the difference in sound of Radiohead to OK Computer, which we mentioned here, okay, and we've admitted that it's a different sound, but we mentioned it because it was their breakthrough. It was their biggest hit, their best-selling album. Mm -hmm. Um, They, Butthole Surfers, had their biggest hit in 1996. That's all I'm saying. So if we're using that criteria, I think it could be grounds to mention them. But they didn't yeah. get their start in 90s alt-rock. Radiohead did. And that's the difference. Is that okay. radio, okay. even though they were a band in 85, they really gained ground in that 90s alt-rock time and 90s mm-hmm. alt-rock sound. If that makes sense. So I yes, bring no, up yeah. OK yeah. Computer only because that is what made them explode. And... Many people think it's still a landmark record of the 90s, whether I agree with that or not, which I really don't because it's 97 and we're so far away from that 90s alt-rock period. Um, I only bring it up because really that's how it's touted by so many outlets. Yeah, yeah, so I had to bring it up. I don't yeah, agree yeah, with yeah. it, yeah. but they got their... So their basis, their origin... 
the, and their rise to popularity is inside that wheel of early to mid nineties alt rock. Okay. So butthole surfers, their origin, their, it's really more, and it, and their sound is still an eighties sound. Okay. A late eighties okay. sound. Yeah. Fair enough. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you that they were consistent. They surely were. That music was waning though at the time. It wasn't, you know, exploding at the time, like these other bands we've discussed. Fair enough. And I was a big fan of the Butthole Servers. Mm-hmm. Big fan. All those guys. <laughs> well, all right, that was fun. That was fun. That's fun. the end of the series. That puts a nice little bow on that uh, that series. This was a fun series. I really, I learned a lot, and I gained a lot more appreciation even though I was there and liked this music, I think I forgot that I liked it. <laughs> I think I've kind of looked back at it, kind of poo-pooing it. Yeah, I think for my takeaway from this is I rediscovered how much I really like Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots in particular. Same, same, same. All these same. bands. Yeah. yeah. Well, listeners, thank you for sticking around. We hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as we did, as much as we always do. And as always, you can find us on Instagram and the Twitter at Metal Rock Whiskey. And we also have a super cool Facebook group. Super cool. Super cool. <laughs> <laughs> Under our name, Metal Rock Whiskey. Uh, Spirit, no. I'm sorry. Spirit, I'm, I'm going to get this one of these weeks, I swear. <laughs> Spirit of Rock Podcast Network. Yeah. On Facebook, yes. <laughs> Which encompasses... All of our shows. All the shows. And yes. there's a particularly amazing meme posted in the past week of James Hetfield and the lion <laughs> from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and apparently people keep doing side-by-sides of it and tweeting it to him. And so he finally responded, this is real. Stop sending me this shit. And I'm sure he did it in jest, you know. Um, and all I could hear in my head was, so I'm a big fan of the Wizard of Oz. The lion happens to be my favorite character. And I always run around the house going, and a wolf, and a wolf, and a royal howl. He's my favorite. So all I could hear was that from James Hetfield. <laughs> because the side-by-side picture. And a wolf. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even think. You would have to do that anymore. <laughs> oh, good lord! Like, remember the scene where they go to Oz and they get they go in the spa and get their makeovers. Do you remember that? Yeah. A brush, brush here, a brush, brush there. Remember that they get like manicures and manicures. <laughs> and the lion's so excited to be getting his mani pedi, and he gets his little curls and a bow. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's going to be James Hetfield forever. <laughs> Forever. I'm going to see James' face. No, it's ruined forever. I don't for know you. if it's ruined or if it's going to be even it's more. It's funny. Ruined. I don't know. But now when know. you see the Wizard of Oz and you see the lion, you're going to think of that too. That's <laughs> <laughs> the best ever. Whoever started that shit, hats off to you, motherfucker. Hats off to you. <laughs> Pour one out for you. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, so you can also follow us individually on Instagram, 
or individually anywhere. Um, you can find me at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is whiskey. Still saving that E on a daily basis. Because Jenny took it from you. Yeah. <laughs> she's right. she's got she's got it. <laughs> you can find me as Sailor Retro all over the internet. And Metal Rock and Whiskey is on Twitter. So if you're the tweeting type, you can tweet us there. And Spirit of Rock also has an Instagram page as well. And if you're looking for me, you'll most likely find me hanging out on Instagram at Bourbon Geek. And don't forget that we have many new shows that are coming out this month on the Spirit of Rock Network. One of those shows is from our very own Matt and Jenny wrestling with respect this week you probably already listened to it actually right yes 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 yesterday yesterday Yesterday, awesome it should be in your queue you should have listened to it i love it i know shit about wrestling by the way so when matt pitched this show to me i was like wait what and then when they explained i was like oh that sounds really cool so you guys i want to come on your show and i want to be the dummy that has to be schooled on professional wrestling we should do that that would be a lot of fun do it and this show has it's in the weeks that we've planned it in the weeks we've recorded promos um the business has changed in the weeks that we've done this so Mm -hmm. it has created it has created more material for us has created real real time issues to talk about and not just uh chronicling the women that we wanted to talk about but things are happening Right now, as we speak, in this, in this business that uh, need to be addressed on a show like ours. So tune in. That's yes. crazy. I'm, right. I'm like, yeah. I'm so excited to try and keep up and understand what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And hey, a lot of stuff. Uh, listeners, if you love us or even if you just like us, please <laughs> hit that <laughs> subscribe okay. button. Give us a review. It really does matter. And when I say that, I am dead serious. I know we have a Patreon and everything else. And if you can't subscribe or give us anything on a Patreon, that's fine. We understand. But subscribing is free. All you have to do is hit that button, and it really does help us out. It helps us out, you know, as as almost like you're giving us a donation because Absolutely. that helps us with our metrics, helps us with sponsors and all that. It's really important. So if you can just do that real quick, we would really, really appreciate it. Um, and of course, tune in next week where hopefully we'll be back with another hopefully. episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Oh, we'll be back. <laughs> Are we what still going I, week to week? No, uh, no, we'll be we'll be here. Fuck you, Lars. This podcast is edited by Ed Dirsch, produced by me, Sailor Retro, with research by Matt LaRusso. Hey.